0: So there's two challenges that we have to overcome. The first is we have to get people to know about the program and want to sign up. But the second is we have to make it a heck of a lot easier for them to sign up. And and that's what we're trying to do with three different things that we're doing at Education Superhighway.
1: Before we dive into today's interview, I wanted to make sure that you knew about a really cool show we've been doing for about two years now called Connect This because I've run into a few people who didn't know we've been doing that show. And it's a fun show. It's a panel show with usually four of us. Uh, Quite often, Kim McKinley, Doug Dawson, and Travis Carter, uh, all join me. They've been uh, people that have been on this show and are all over the place in the broadband space doing great work. Uh, We get together to talk about what's happening over the course of the week in broadband. And uh, you can find it at connectthisshow.com. We record it almost every other week. And it's a live show, uh, usually on a Thursday around 2 o'clock Eastern time. Uh, You can find all of our shows at ilsr.org podcasts. And that includes one that we're releasing brand new, just launched it, called Building for Digital Equity. You can find that one on buildingfordigitalequity.com. And that show features shorter interviews with people doing that digital equity work, uh, many of them live interviews that we've done at places like Net Inclusion. And finally, I just wanted to note that you could always rate us. We haven't had any uh, any really great ratings lately. So uh, whether it's a community broadband bits feed, the Connect This Show, or uh, Building for Digital Equity, you should feel free to go out and give us a rating. Now, before we dive into this interview today with Education Superhighway, I wanted to remind you about the federal funding programs because we talk about them quite a bit. And uh, they include the $42.5 billion bead program. That is the main one people talk about. And we also talk about the Capital Projects Fund, which is being distributed through uh, the Department of the Treasury, uh, mostly broadband-related funds, uh, very flexible use of those funds, uh, as well as ARPA, the American Rescue Plan Act. So uh, we use CPF uh, for Capital Projects Fund and ARPA pretty liberally, and I wanted to make sure you were remembering what those were. Now, I hope you enjoy this interview. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits podcast, and I'm recovering a bit. My voice still isn't quite back yet. Did 22 interviews at Net Inclusion. I don't think that helped with the bug I picked up, Uh, but we're talking today about some really cool work that's being done to connect uh, low-income families in particular. Uh, We're talking with Evan Marwell, who's back on the show after a long break, Uh, CEO of Education Superhighway. Welcome to the show.
0: Great to be here, Chris.
1: And then we also have Jenny Miller, the director of government affairs. Welcome. Thanks, Chris. Good to be here. It's it's really great to see both of you. Uh, I'm especially going right on the heels of net inclusion, where we saw so many folks that are doing this great work. Um, I think it's a good place to start with just what does Education Superhighway do? Well, our mission has changed.
0: As you know, the last time we saw each other, we were working on putting high speed broadband into every public school in America. Uh, we started that work in 2012, and about 10% of schools had high-speed broadband that was sufficient for teaching and learning in the classroom. By 2019, we'd raised that number to over 99% of schools, and we actually thought we were going to go out of business at that point, having completed our mission. But then the pandemic happened, and as with you know so many people and organizations across uh, the country and the world, it it really changed our focus, and so today we've switched our focus. We've launched a, what we call our 2.0 mission to work on closing what we refer to as the broadband affordability gap. So that is the 18 million households in this country that have access to the internet, but are offline because they can't afford it. And and those households make up about two thirds of the digital divide in this country. The The other Third, being made up by people who have no infrastructure available to them, something that I know you talk about a lot, uh, as well as people who, you know, for whatever reason are just not interested in being online. So so our mission today is to close the broadband affordability gap by connecting those 18 million people who have access but can't afford it.
1: Let's talk briefly about how you do that. Because I feel like one of the things that you do that I love is you develop technology like mm-hmm. to help people in this work and we're going to talk about that in a, in a minute with one of the new tools but in general i feel like your philosophy is that you are a nonprofit that also embraces kind of newer technology and tries to figure out how to use that to move the mission in ways that more traditional nonprofits aren't always so focused on i think
0: yeah we're more in the camp of being a tech nonprofit uh than than a traditional nonprofit you know, our approach to this work, similar to our approach with school districts, what is is really has a, a few different layers. So the first layer is is policy. And policy happens at both the federal level, which is usually where the money comes from. It came from the feds on on the e-rate side for schools, and now the Infrastructure Act and some of the other legislation that came out of the pandemic. Um, The second layer is working with states uh, because often states are either the place where the money flows to first, as we're seeing in the Infrastructure Act, but they're also the best distribution channel that's out there to get to the the people at the community level, whether it's school districts or some of the organizations we'll talk about uh, that are working on the home digital divide. Um, And we need to use states as a distribution channel to get to them. So that's sort of our second layer of work that we that we do. And then the third thing that we do is we try to really empower the, the organizations and the, the institutions at the, the level where the work can happen, where people can actually get connected. So in version 1.0, that was empowering school districts. And, and we empowered school districts in, in a couple of different ways. So the first was we helped them with the technical expertise they needed, like what was it that they needed to put into their schools and how do they write an RFP and, uh, to get that stuff? We also helped them with figuring out where to get the best deals. Uh, as, you know, we, we published this website that showed them what every school in the country was buying, who they were buying it from, and, and what price they were p- paying. And that website alone resulted in the price of broadband for schools going down over 90% over the co- course of five years. But then we also helped them with finding the bidders, right? For who, who could actually provide them the service? And we're doing very similar things now on the home broadband side right we're We're helping the organizations locally do outreach to the people who need to get connected the people who are in this broadband affordability gap. We're giving them the data that they need to to find those people and then we're giving them tools to help them actually enroll in the a c p and and then we've got another program which is all about putting free wi fi networks in low income apartment buildings so that there is no enrollment that people have to do so So that's sort of how we do the work. We work at the federal level, at the state level, and then at the local level to actually get people connected. And you really have to do that last piece, because if you don't do that, there'll be lots of money floating around and lots of policy. But as we've seen with many policies in the past, and I know you know this more than anyone, Chris, if you're not also working on the implementation where the rubber hits the road, the money isn't going to get used effectively.
1: That is true. Uh, In a second, Jenny, I'm going to ask you about any additional things since you've worked with two different capacities in education superhighway, at least. Um, But Evan, I'm curious about the connection you're on. You're on a high speed connection every now and then you're just dropping out a little bit. I think it's a a nice reminder that um, that uh, these things aren't um, perfectly Boolean, right? Like it's not like you have it or you don't. There's this gradations where you have a little reliability issue wherever you are.
0: I'm in an office that I'm not usually in and there's a lot of people here today. So maybe their Wi-Fi isn't set up properly.
1: <laughs> Could be. So Jenny, um, you've been in a couple of different positions there with Education Super Highway. What is there anything else you'd add on to what Evan was saying about how you all do business?
2: Evan's pretty good at like explaining what we do, isn't he? Um yeah. So gosh, I've been here a total of um Evan's six years. And you know, I think actually, Chris, I've kind of done the same thing, but now in two different missions, right? So first it was just with schools and now I'd say it's, it's, it's also with schools and it's more, you know, it's just focusing on the home broadband affordability gap. And, and um, I say that's also with schools in the sense that schools are just such a good channel uh, to get the word out. And in particular, uh, there's two, Evan kind of touched on this, but there's two key programs that we're kind of focused on that we think... Um to solve the broadband affordability gap with given um you know deluge of funding that's out there that can go a long way and be really impactful. So the first one is ACP affordable connectivity program, which uh, I know you talk about on here and connect this. talk about that all the time. Then the second one is this um free apartment Wi-Fi high speed networks in um apartment buildings that Evan touched on. So, yeah, you know i'm 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 doing work kind of with state governments on, uh, you know, in both, ESH 1.0 and 2.0, as we've seen before in 1.0, governors are an excellent uh, kind of figurehead to uh, put like an exclamation point on an initiative to raise awareness, to kind of, you know, just increase, you know, the impact. And actually, we just did a really cool event in Denver. Uh, Evan was there. Uh, in person with the LG in Colorado, Uh, Lieutenant Governor Primavera helped us launch this uh, ACP awareness campaign um, at the Denver Public Library. And it was just really cool to get her involved just to say, you know, like, the Polis Primavera administration uh, takes this really seriously and, um, you know, wants to put our stamp of approval on it. And boosting awareness is, is a big deal. Did you roll out that new tool there? Is this is it a new tool, the getACP tool? So it's called getacp.org. And if you're listening, you can go to getacp.org and try it out. It's optimized for mobile, because if it's an ACP enrollment tool, lots of folks don't have internet. So they're gonna have they're gonna probably be on a mobile device. And the whole goal from our engineering team when they built this tool was to just kind of take the noise and the difficulty of the ACP application out. So um, it streamlines the process. It tells you the easiest way to qualify. It's going to spit out a document checklist to tell you what you need to apply. And then it's also going to give you a list of uh, free with ACP plans in your area. So you punch in your zip code and then it's going to give you all your plans. Um, so in Colorado, we also rolled out uh, getacp.org forward slash Colorado. So that's kind of a co-branded version with the state's logo on it. Because as we've seen with our pilots, trust is a big barrier to enrollment in ACP and government programs uh, more generally.
1: And we just did an interview with uh, Meg Koifer on a new show that we launched with live interviews from net inclusion. And she was talking about how they set up within a, uh, the, I think it's a county building or local municipal social services building, because people are often stuck there waiting in line. And that's where they can get a lot of the forms they need anyway. And the very fact that they are inside the organization shows that they are trusted. They're not on the outside of the organization, handing out leaflets and scamming people. They've passed that barrier of trust. And I just, I love that as a sort of understanding of how to go about you know building that trust showing that trust and like in getting people signed up it was a really good place to set up
0: yeah that's really a great idea we've we've got to do some of that jenny i was gonna oh, say yeah, <laughs> i love it yeah. <laughs> I was going some there. of our partners our state partners to start using that as a i can only imagine like sitting at the dmv right and i was like, thinking well, the DMV while too. you're waiting why don't you sign up for the acp i love that i love yes, that exactly. Thirty bucks
2: off your internet plan who Who wouldn't want that? Well,
1: that's why I was, I mean, I was curious because it's it's remarkable to me how people who are doing this work, there's still best practices that are being developed that haven't been shared yet. And um, just the fact that this tool is really going to help and we can hopefully get a lot more people to... To be aware of that, there's so many people we've heard of. I mean, my my friend and and partner in crime, uh, Matt Rantanen, on our tribal work, he talks about the long list of people who started applications in Indian Country and just never finished it because they were just like, no, it's just too much work. It's not, it's not happening.
0: Well, that's for sure. And you know, as we think about the ACP enrollment challenges, I think a couple things I'd love to highlight. Look. We're up to, I think your data says 30%, 31% of we might eligible... have changed the
1: denominator though. That's the trick. Yeah. Okay. It's very hard to figure well, out what the yeah. actual number is. So
0: 30, 31% of, of eligible households have enrolled. The thing that's really important to understand is if you look at enrollment, the most unconnected communities, places where 25% or more don't uh of households don't have internet, enrollment's probably five percent, right? So this is, a, this is a a real challenge for them. And it's exactly what you were just talking about. So there's two challenges that we have to overcome. The first is we have to get people to know about the program and want to sign up. That's the trust. That's the awareness building and all that. But the second is we have to make it a heck of a lot easier for them to sign up. And, and that's what we're trying to do with three different things that we're doing at Education Superhighway. So the first thing that we're doing is we've launched this getacp.org mobile website to really let you know really quickly, do you qualify? What's the easiest way to sign up? Give the checklist that Jenny talked about and then help you find a plan. But we have much bigger plans for this. We're very hopeful that the FCC is going to allow us to hook GetACP right up into the national verifier. So that people can go through the entire application in a much more user-centered, uh, user-friendly uh, kind of way. So that's the first thing. The second thing we're doing is we're providing real-time support for people. So we've we've stood up a contact center where if somebody's getting stuck on what documentation they need, on how to uh, navigate, how to answer different questions. They can, you know, chat with our contact center, call our contact center. And we think this is something that we need to do nationally, you know, for at the state level or even at the national level, is have a place that unfortunately isn't like USAC, where you can never get them on the phone, right? Um, that people who are going through the process can get the help they need.
1: But this is the something you're just thing, funding this out of philanthropy. To be clear, like you're just you're like this has to happen. We'll make it happen.
0: Exactly, we're funding this out of philanthropy, and we're very fortunate to have you know a number of donors who truly believe in the work that we're doing and the importance of connecting these these folks. The third thing we're doing though is that we know that something like ten to fifteen, or maybe even twenty percent of people, if we're going to get them signed up for the the ACP, they need to go somewhere for help in person. They're just not going to do it on on their mobile phone or even chatting with someone in a call center. And so we've launched something called Learn ACP which is an online certification program that takes you through how do you answer all the questions the right way in the ACP application so that when someone that you work with for some other reason, you know whether you're a housing, you know, you're working in a housing authority or you're working at a health clinic or place like that this will, in 45 minutes, you can learn all the ins and outs of filling out the ACP so you can help them in person. And then we're building this net na- of these places, digital navigators, a lot of people call them, where we're going to be able to send people for in-person help and they'll have been trained and certified in how to do this.
1: That's excellent. It sounds like a lot of work and uh, sounds like someone mm-hmm. believes that the ACP will be along around longer than next summer. <laughs> well, I certainly
0: do. I mean, look, I think... There's all kinds of reasons why we need the ACP to continue. But I think the one that is most important for everyone that people aren't really talking about yet, but I think ultimately is going to be the thing that really helps us get over the finish line, is every single internet provider that's going to get money from the BEAD program is predicating their business plan for those networks on signing up new customers, Mm -hmm. signing up customers who today are unconnected. And many of those customers are the very people we're talking about who can't afford it. And so if the ACP doesn't exist, we're going to build out a whole bunch of networks and nobody's going to get on them because they're not going to be able to afford it. And so whether you're in an urban area or a rural area, you're going to need the ACP to make those business plans work. And I think ultimately that will bring people together to say, like, yeah, we're about to spend forty billion or sixty billion dollars, depending on how you look at things. If we don't have the ACP, we're going to build a lot of empty networks.
1: Yes, I think that's a it's a very strong concern. Um, and it, like you said, this isn't just an urban issue. Like, there's a lot of folks in rural areas who are not paying to connect because they cannot afford it. Uh, But I want to move on to the other item that you're working on. And so Jenny, do you want to introduce us to what you're doing in the low income apartment buildings?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. So that's a good segue. So ACP is great. It is a great program and um, it doesn't go far enough. So if you think about just the ease um, of just getting online, a Wi-Fi network in like airports, libraries, other community spaces and so on. um, Think about that in, Uh, MDU some multi-family dwelling units or um, low-income apartment buildings. The thing is just what we've seen with ACP with the barriers to enrollment there can be a lag there can be documentation issues all these things we absolutely need the ACP and this is a good complement to just give folks apartment wi-fi right at home. So this is a bead eligible expense um, if their bead lays out a prioritization criteria that says, you know, there here's some criteria by which an apartment building is going to be prioritized for uh, a bead eligible apartment Wi-Fi build out. You know, we have a whole team, we, uh, engineers, you know, service provider folks who've come over to this nonprofit um, who have built out this amazing program. Um, we're doing pilots, Dallas, Charlotte, um, Massachusetts, and Boston, lots of different pilots. The, the thing is, is that states are definitely interested in this. And another thing I'll say is that states are states are interested in this concept, no matter how they fund it. So we're seeing a lot of states use ARPA. We're seeing states use capital projects fund. Like we saw um, the folks in OSET, so Brian Mitchell and uh, his colleague Britta, in Nevada, just um, got a big treasury award from Capital Projects Fund to do exactly this in Nevada, and they're partnering with a lot of the housing authorities there in Nevada.
1: No, I'm I'm curious, so Evan, uh, because uh, the word that was used is Wi-Fi, and uh, my antenna go up a little bit when I when I hear about Wi-Fi in hallways and that sort of thing, because uh, I feel like I'm always focused on that connection, making sure there's a high quality connection to each unit. Uh, some of the vagaries of Wi-Fi. So, uh, how are you addressing that?
0: Yeah, so look, there are, are different solutions that are needed in different kinds of places. Um, if you've got concrete block construction and uh, you know some of the old housing authority buildings that were built, you know, Wi-Fi in the apartment buildings uh, in the hallways is not going to be the optimal solution. You're going to need to get into, into the units. But what our testing has shown is that in many, many cases, if you put, just like they do in hotels, if you put Wi-Fi in the hallways, you can uh, you can get really good reception inside inside the units and 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 if you need to you can put a second Wi-Fi access point inside the unit to bridge over to the one in, that's in the hallway and you get connections. I mean we're seeing connections that are that can be you know half a gig uh, on 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 those networks. So you got to pick the right tool for the right thing. The advantage of doing it this way is that obviously it is a lot lower cost. Uh, Which means your dollars can go a lot further. You can connect a lot more people and your time to deploy is significantly faster. You know, when you go to an apartment owner and you say, Hey, all I need to do is run wires down the hallways and hook up access points, versus you go to them and you say, I need to drill into every unit through the wall into every unit. It's a very different conversation, and the willingness of of landlords to allow you to do that work, uh, you know, changes dramatically.
1: Yeah, and we we just did a um, a site visit with folks at Project Waves in Baltimore, and it was somewhat eye opening to also get a sense of drilling into a wall sounds like one thing; it's another thing to think you have to coordinate with more than a hundred families potentially on when you're going to be there, and are they going to remember that you're supposed to be there? Then is the door going to be open? Are you going to be the are, are there going to be stuff in the way? All of those sorts of things, and so I I think it's a really good wake up call for people, you know, like me that are that are very focused on that to know that there are real logistical hurdles to come with that, and if you can get around that in other ways, it's it's there's reasons why you'd want to do that.
0: Yeah, and look, the, it may not be the absolute best solution but it's a sufficient solution. Uh, you know, It's a solution that will allow you to work at home. It'll allow you to go to school at home. It'll allow you to do all the things that we all know everyone wants to be able to do. Um, and so I think time to market and reaching the maximum number of people should be our priorities.
2: The Biden administration's in, in the header for all NTI documents says internet for all on every single page of any I thing, right?
1: I continue to think was a mistake, but yes, it does say that.
2: <laughs> my, my point is just that like, Maybe, you know, maybe you're Chris Mitchell in Minnesota and you're optimizing for your, you know, your your myriad podcasts that you run and da, 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 you need to have like a, like a stellar internet connection. When the status quo is students having to go into the McDonald's parking lot or sit outside in the parking lot outside the rec center to do their assigned homework, um, this is going to be a massive improvement, right? So in terms of just like equity and just inclusion, this is going to go a long way for a lot of folks. And like Evan said, you can make a big difference in months, not years.
1: I feel like this is a good area for a bet, Jenny. And as a fan of connect this, you know, that we like to at least Huge throw bets out there. We don't always follow up. But how many states do you think are going to be taking advantage of the fact that they can use this um, bead money for this? Because my bet has been that there will not be very many, um, but you sound much more hopeful.
2: So bead or ARPA, CPF, any any federal dollars. What do you think?
1: Uh, I was oh. I'm more thinking about bead. I'm expecting most of the b dollars so, going to mostly rural areas. Go ahead, Evan.
2: Yeah,
0: so um, I was with you until we started talking to states about it. And mm-hmm. states are very quickly doing the math in their head and saying, I can get to way more people way more quickly, way lower cost by doing this apartment stuff. So I've got to blend it in into my program. Yes, rural is a priority, but- we were in Colorado and they, they were one of those states that were like, oh, no, we're going to have to use all our money on rural. And then they like started thinking about the opportunity and they're like, hold on a second. We can get to a lot more people a lot quicker and really show some real progress sooner if we take advantage of apartment Wi-Fi. So I would take the over on on half of states will do this.
1: That's wonderful. And the word that you use is blend that I would just highlight. Blend is the right word. It's I, not going to be one I, or the I... other.
0: They're going to have to blend it all together.
2: Let's be honest too. There's a lot of money out there, an unprecedented <laughs> level of broadband investment, and I mean that's 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 great. I mean we need it, right? I mean it's you know it's it's not the 90s anymore. Like we we it's absolutely a need. It's essential. I kind of have an interesting lens just because I work with states one by one to implement these plans, right? What I am seeing is that states have maybe already leaned a little bit on say ARPA, CPF, et cetera, and now that we're waiting, because, like, we've, we're all waiting, right? We're waiting for the bead funds. We're waiting for DEA funds. Everybody's waiting for the money. And I think the fact is, is, like, there's a lot of money to go around. And so, like, a lot of states are kind of taking, like, a hybrid approach, right? You know, so there's, like, let's also, um, let's do, let's do, like a, like, a pilot with ARPA for, like, a small amount of money. Let's show proof of concept. And then let's, like, blow it up and bead and really go, really go big. You know, let's connect more cities or... Um, more apartments or expand the criteria or go a lower, go like a lower unit count, you know, slightly less economy of scale, for instance. Mm -hmm.
1: Realizing that different building materials, different solutions, are you still seeing a common set of numbers in terms of cost per household of the MDUs? Because I'm guessing it's in the low hundreds, uh, you know, over a, a wide average.
0: Yeah, it's probably mid hundreds. Uh, Over a wide average. Yeah, you know, four or five hundred bucks a unit kind of thing. Uh, If it's pure, like just Wi-Fi access points down the hallways, you're probably in the low hundreds. But there's going to be, you know, some of these places where you've got to. And there's two there's two challenging environments. So one challenging environment is the wrong kind of construction. Right. Concrete, you know, that kind of stuff. The other challenging environment is garden style apartments, which there are a lot of, right? Because then you've got like little clusters and you don't have these long hallways that you can run things down. So you take those two pieces and it's actually more that's higher cost than you would have thought originally. So.
2: Evan, what, maybe you should share, what do you, what do we mean when we say garden style apartments? And I, These are very popular in the South, for instance.
0: Yeah. So a garden style apartment just simply means that you don't have one big building with lots of floors in it and lots of apartments on every floor, but you have like little, uh, a whole bunch of little buildings that might have four or six apartments in each of them. And so to wire up that whole complex, you've got to like do a lot more work to get to every building to get the you know connections there.
1: Yeah, I think of those as campuses, uh, which I can see how that'd be much more expensive. So the last thing I just wanted to ask was um, relating to what you would mentioned about making the E-rate contracts public, something that I was frustrated about for years. And we actually looked at whether or not we could do something like that and discovered that it was just way too complex for us at the time. So I'm super thankful that you all went and did it. Did it result in, in what you expected? Did bringing transparency to those contracts in and of itself change much?
0: Oh, it changed everything. As I said earlier, by creating transparency, we drove the cost of broadband down ninety-two percent in five years, and it has continued to fall since then. You know, people still have access to the site; the price is still going down. I think this year, Jenny, correct me if I'm, I'm wrong. I think this year was the first year that we hit under one dollar per megabit uh, for oh. per month for for bandwidth. And when we started, the number was twenty-two dollars. So it made a huge (laughs) difference and it made a huge difference in two ways. So first, it gave schools for the first time the information they needed to be better buyers. But second, and this was the thing we didn't anticipate, it gave service providers the information they needed to go figure out which schools they should go make proposals to because they had a much better deal than what they were getting. And the combination of those two things created a market. And um, and it's something that I think we need to do more of in everything. We need to do it in healthcare. We need to do it in, you know, so many different aspects of of the way things work in this world uh, that we could drive drive costs down for people with more price transparency.
1: Yeah. and I'll just I want to emphasize that because. Uh, there's a lot of argument about program design, how these things work and bringing transparency can just change a lot without having to fiddle around with other things. So um, that's just, it's terrific. And it's been terrific talking to both of you. So thank you both
3: for taking the time today.
0: Thanks for having us. Appreciate it.
3: We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadband bits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter His handle is at CommunityNets. Follow MuniNetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at MuniNetworks. Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR, including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening.